Welcome to NBA Sound System. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty and Gil McGregor. We are here for your Thanksgiving holiday week sound system. Just a reminder, we'll be only dropping one episode this week. We like to take some time off and celebrate with our friends and family over the long weekend here in the United States. For those of you overseas not celebrating, uh, maybe have some turkey on our behalf. Turkey sandwiches all around. Um, plenty to get into this week, and it's a lot of it off the court. So we're gonna not wait. We're not gonna waste time. There's a lot to unpack with the new schedule changes uh, proposed or being proposed or being at least talked about uh, around the NBA. Last week, a Woj bomb happened between Zach Lowe and Adrian Wojnarowski. They dropped it on us. No trades. No one decided to switch teams or anything like that. But potential new schedule changes for the NBA uh, has been kind of brought up. And um, right now, we we must say it's only a rumor. It's nothing concrete, but it is going to be brought forward to the players, and they're going to discuss it uh, further on. But the meat of it is what the, 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 the schedule as we know it will be reduced. There'll be an in-season tournament at some point. We'll also have some playoff seed shifting. G- go into a little bit more for those who don't know. I mean, uh, to start off, they're talking about um, limiting the schedule or, or reducing the schedule to 78 or 79 games, uh, talking about reseeding the playoffs for the conference finals. So uh, once you get to the conference finalists, you have one through four seeding. Uh, there's going to be a play-in tournament for uh, seven through ten. So you'd have uh, seven play eight, and the winner gets the seventh seed, and then nine plays ten, and the winner of that game plays eight for the last spot in the playoffs, which I can understand that. Uh, and then there's also the midseason tournament that would go from around this time to about mid-December, which they would throw in there, which I think is a little bit inspired by uh, uh, European soccer. So those are some of the things that were uh, proposed in that potential proposal for schedule changes. Yeah, it's worth noting that it probably wouldn't go into effect until the 21-22 uh, season, so we're still still a couple years away from, from actually seeing this, if it goes through. Yeah, we're still a couple of years away from actually having that happen so nothing to be alarmed about right now, but where do you guys sit on it? Everyone obviously has an opinion on what this this change. Anytime there's change is always going to be an uproar. And for the majority of the opinions that I've seen out there, everyone seems to hate this idea. I actually don't hate it. I, I think that uh, it, it you know messes with tradition and obviously that is going to take some time to adjust to. But if smarter people that are negotiating these things think that I'm going to be more interested in the NBA for a longer period of time than I'm all for it. It's, it's also worth noting that not all of these would necessarily go into effect. Like they're going to vote on um, each one is my understanding. So there's, right. a, there's a possibility that, you know, we only get one of these or two of them, not all three. Um, in saying that, I, I actually do like the reseeding of the teams in the, in the semifinals round. Uh, I think it was Zach Lowe on the Woj pod said that this is probably a response to the 2018 NBA playoffs when we had that incredible series between the, the Warriors and the Rockets that went to seven games, and then the Warriors swept the Cavs in the NBA Finals, um, and it wasn't that competitive a series. So by doing that, in theory, we, we would have a Finals when the two best teams play against each other, um, and I, I ultimately think that's what everyone wants to see on that stage. No question about it. I agree with that. I wouldn't mind the reseeding in the conference final. I actually wouldn't mind the reseeding in every round of the playoffs. I, I don't have... 
Now, when I say that, I don't mean the worst seed plays the best seed in the Western Conference. I don't mean by record. I still think I would like the conference separated, but I would like reseeding. So if there is ever an upset, say Warriors, you know, 20, I think it was 20, 2007, beat the, the Mavericks or 2006, whenever it was that they beat the Mavericks, uh, the number number eight being the number one. At that point, they should reseed and play the next highest seed. So if the number two seed is that seed, they should play the number two seed in the following round instead of everyone sticks to the bracket that they're in. Because what happened is they ended up playing Utah, and Utah walked through them, and Utah kind of had an easier path, and they were the fourth seed that, that year in the Western Conference. I think it's unfair if uh, you know uh, the team that – you know. Played the entire regular season, busted their tails to get a good record, ended up in second instead of first, ends up having to play the number three seed. Meanwhile, the fourth seed gets, you know, the lesser competition. I think you should reseed every single round within the conference. No question about it. No, I understand the, the validity of doing that. And that, that makes sense, especially uh, given what you're saying. You know, a two seed can, you know, again, have a great regular season, earn home court advantage, and then play a really tough team, and then you get bounced while a, a lesser team or a team that, that didn't play as well during the regular season. But I think, and I think that that's a worthy thing of doing because it doesn't happen that often. Uh, we don't see that many eight seeds or seven seeds getting wins in the first round. To where if we did that, it wouldn't be a thing that really deviates too far away from tradition. Uh, but you hit the nail on the head. I think uh, tradition is a big thing that we talk about a lot. I think that's where a lot of pushback is coming from. And I think that's kind of why I'm a little hesitant to be uh, all in on a lot of these changes. So what are you pushing back on? Uh, I'm really just honestly everything, but mainly uh, the reseeding a little bit. Um, I understand where you're coming from and I understand the, the reason that it's a response from that. I think we might have been robbed of a great series uh, between the Warriors and Rockets but at the same time. If that didn't happen, we wouldn't have seen LeBron James' legendary performance in game one of that finals. I think that uh, it's it's hard for me as I wouldn't call myself a basketball purist or NBA purist, but have having followed the NBA my entire life and, and being studying the history of it, it's just so hard to think about deviating away from what we've known for so long as the East versus West. Um, I think that there have been years in which the West is stronger than the East and, and vice versa. I think it's cyclical and it kind of comes back around uh, in, in periods of time. And I think we're just in a period of time in which the West seems to be a little bit stronger up top. Uh, but we've had strong teams from the Eastern Conference. You know, the, the Raptors won this past year and then a few years back the Cavs won. So I think that it's one of those things that kind of has to come back around like a revolving door. See, I, I don't really mind the, the reseeding. I also like the idea of the, the postseason play-in. I, I just think it's fun at that point of the season to have four teams fighting for a spot like that. I Kind of what you're saying, Gil, the part of me that I struggle with is the in-season tournament. I just, I the idea is fun. I'm just not sure, quite sure how it would actually work. And if you'd get the buy-in that you'd need, um, mostly from the best teams in the league to actually make it, uh, something that's that's interesting, but also profitable for the league. Yeah, I think it's hard to incentivize that. You know, how, how do you have guys, like you said, buy in, get up for you know a, a tournament that's kind of in the middle of the year, where again historically these guys growing up are, are only care about going to the playoffs, going to the finals, and, and, and hoisting the Larry O'Brien Trophy. You know, it, it's hard to think about you know what it is that you can have guys play for in the middle of the season that's going to obviously not mean more to them than that, but mean something enough that they can really get up for that and. and and it can be that level of brand of basketball. I think that we see a lot of, of already 
I guess, highly contested playoff atmosphere, uh, regular season games to begin with. We have our Christmas Day showcase. We have our showcase on Martin Luther King Day. We have our showcases of playoff rematches or rivalries throughout the league. And I think that um, that's almost enough as a fan or, or as just a viewer of the game uh, to get up for those things and don't necessarily need to put in an arbitrary tournament in the middle of the year to, to draw up more interest as, as that goes. See, that's where I disagree. I agree with the fact that we do have showcase days, but those one you, you name three days of the entire calendar. The, the NBA season starts in October, ends in April. If there is a way to make other games matter more and have me more interested in games, I'm all for it. But I just like like take a team like the the Clippers or the Lakers, right? Like I, I don't know, there's no incentive for them necessarily to do really well in the tournament, right? Actually, that's not fair. We, we'd probably have to talk about like what kind of incentive they would have to put in a tournament right. for someone to to win it. Like, what is the benefit of winning it? Right. What if the tournament means? What if winning the midseason tournament means that you don't win the midseason tournament and that's it? What if that means you win the number one overall pick in the draft? What if you put some high stakes to it to make people care about it so that you're not, okay, you may not care about that so much if you're the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and everybody else, but if you're the Milwaukee Bucks and you have Giannis and you're one piece away, you're going to care about the midseason tournament, put that in your back pocket, and then say, you know what, come draft time, we either get the number one overall pick, we could trade that, we could get another pick. There's so many things that can happen to it. It's not just... It's not just hoisting a championship. There's there's different stakes that we could add on to top of that to, to make it interesting. And if you guys are telling me right now that if we didn't have a tournament for the number one overall pick, people wouldn't tune in. Yeah, but you're also assuming that that's actually a possibility. I'm like, saying I, I, I don't think that I don't think the league would ever do that. I, but there's ways to make it interesting, is what I'm saying. Okay, it's so, not just so, cut and dry. So beyond, let's say you, that's not what you're playing for. You're not playing for the number one pick. Right. I really don't think the league would ever do that. What kind of incentive is realistic to put on this tournament? To get the buy-in that you think from teams, is it because I don't think I don't think money does like it. Home court advantage is it, is it a buy? Is it like a buy for the first round? I like I that would that would that, be that, you get a lock terrible. for the playoffs. That like, would be interesting. Like if, interesting. If, if the Suns are playing really well right now, for example, right? If they win this tournament at the end of December or whatever it is, do they get it? Are they locked no matter what, no matter where they finish, at least the eighth seed? Or, or maybe that's it. Maybe you tie it in with the whole play-in aspect, which again I don't hate. Um, I think you maybe it's you play for that to be that bottom playing team that has to win two games to get in and if you're a team that you know things happen in the course of a season you run into injury or whatever you get that chance you like a team that comes out hot to play out of the gate you just have a chance to make the playoffs because a lot does come with uh, making the playoffs for teams who are kind of like um, that middling team whether they're a fringe lottery team or they're a team who might be like it's a team that maybe finishes 12th or 13th if they win this tournament they have a chance to just get into the playoffs because they just need to be ahead of schedule maybe that's what it is maybe it's, it's for teams like that but then again you talk about the top of the crop you know the lakers the bucks the clippers what is it you're going to do for those guys to to get those teams into it what if what if there was a system in place where we got rid of just wins mattering more what if we bring in a committee now and do it like the college football playoff or even the ncaa tournament and say you are now ranked based off of whatever the committee says so there's wins in the middle of the season that will matter will mean more than other wins. If you're the Raptors, for example, you go out and beat the Lakers on the road. That win means more than beating the Sacramento Kings at home. There's just so many games on the schedule. I feel like that gets so complicated in that way. But if you're winning that tournament, that matters, and you could rank the teams. I would. I wouldn't be mad if if there was a committee that ranked teams based off of the way that they played, rather than just sitting around and waiting for them to to play a tournament. There's teams in the Western Conference that are far better than the Eastern Conference. 
That's just that, and that's just we, we know that, and vice versa. There's years where the, there's teams in the Eastern Conference that are better than the teams in the West Conference, but we never really get to see that because their records are the same. And I mean, the 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 argument around that is, oh well, you go from one to sixteen, but that doesn't always solve things because there's teams that are playing in weak divisions, like the the Hornets here in Charlotte. They play in a horrible, historically horrible division. And they get the benefit of doubt of playing bad teams all year, and still will end up with a better record than a lot of teams that are that are better than them on paper. You, you mentioned the divisions. Maybe think about kind of kind of another way to potentially do it, or, or kind of how it all ties in together. And it makes you think about a few years back, or I guess about a dozen years back, when division champions automatically got home court advantage regardless right. of, of what the record was. And you look back to where teams would like, they won like 55 games with the fifth, you know, the fifth seed and a team with, you know, 41, 42 wins is, is in third place and they did away with that. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe, you know, the three division winners get those top three spots at home court advantage and then maybe you're a tournament winner and that's just like kind of a, a an up for grabs type thing. So if you are a team like, um, I, I don't know, who, who's going to finish in the bottom half of a conference, then you're going to be a little more incentivized and then it kind of becomes a pride thing because these guys are still professional athletes and they're going to compete and they're going to take pride. And then you kind of have that kind of edge there. So I don't know. Maybe that's kind of a way to, to restore some type of balance or incentivize things for teams who might not make that jump. But it's just so hard, again, to deviate from what we've known for so long and envision it working and envision getting used to it. But I guess, you know, you talk about a lot of things that's changed over time. It, it all obviously Yeah, that's life. It, People were crying when they brought in the three-point line saying it would ruin the game. We have the three-point line. People are starting to talk about a four-point line. So that's just life. But I'll say this. I mean, most people are you know hung up on the fact that the mid-season tournament or the in-season tournament would be a struggle to wrap your head around. Okay, cool. Let's not talk about that anymore. Let's talk about the other changes that are proposed or even some that you guys may think would work out. If you're Adam Silver, you, Scott, if you're Adam Silver and they come to you and say, all right, the regular season needs changing. We want to make this more interesting. You do what? I, I do like the idea of, of the reseeding of the conferences because I just feel like that does make for more intriguing matchups in the playoffs and things like that. As far as like how to make the regular season more interesting, I, I just don't know what the answer is. I, I think the, the natural or, or the main answer for a lot of people is to shorten the regular season. This proposal, I think the it would be 78 games, which is... Is, that enough, is that enough to... Uh, probably not. I don't okay. really think that, yeah, it's four or three games like is, isn't really a negligible, negligible difference. I think that's just like... Like, like, really doesn't make a difference at all to me. I think the argument would be that it it, it reduces the ba- the amount. It could probably eliminates anyone that has to play the back to backs. Anyone that has to do the four and five nights, which they've already done. You stretch out the time. More players are play. There's no load management. Yada yada yada. You say that though. But there's there's still going to be load management. Right. Like they could play forty games and player X is going to miss. An, uh, Let's not go to the, down the load management rabbit hole because I think that's a different issue from because you could play 50 games like you said. There's probably still going to be load of management yep. at some point. But what would make the regular season more interesting if you don't have that in-season tournament? Again, I think it's just less games but I don't think that's realistic because what's probably, the number? I, like 66. Okay. But that's never going to be a number that they agree on because that's I mean I think even getting all the, the, the team owners to agree to 78 games is probably going to be a stretch. So to think that they'd go from 82 from 60, from 82 to 66, given how much money um, that could possibly mean they lose over the course of a season, that's probably not going to be, uh, you know, 
an actual possibility. Yeah, 66 is the figure that kind of came to my mind, obviously, because of the lockout shortened season. 2011-12 uh, was 66 games, but then you talk about, again, a lot of the issues. That means that uh, certain teams wouldn't have home and homes against uh, play, the conferences, play, teams from the other conference. So that means, you know, some people won't get the Lakers to come visit them, you know, every right. year. Yeah. Um, that also, from, from a historical standpoint, again, like you look at guys who kind of make their place in history, you're going against guys who play 82-game season. So you look at wherever somebody is in the record books, now they're not playing as long seasons and maybe it extends their career longer but you know we look at like we see LeBron James pass somebody up in the record book every year we, we multiply in our head okay if he averages 25 points for 70 games he can get to this and that but now if he's just playing 66 games he's playing 55 out of 66 I think that we're kind of robbed of what we can see people uh, achieve so I do think that it's just hard to kind of get that same interest around what we know and love the NBA to be in an extremely shorter season but I think that if you just shorten it by a few games I don't think it's really going to make that big of a difference so it's just hard to say that that would be the answer to making things more exciting but again, I mean, well, Scott, you're you're Adam Silver in this in the circumstance. So I mean, I, I do I do disagree. I'll, I'll jump in and, and say I do disagree with the it will ruin history, so to speak, because we're getting records broken almost every day now because the game's so much faster. There's so many more shots. There's so many more points scored. So uh, reducing it down to 62 still or 66 or whatever the number is still going to be fair to the guys, the old guys that were playing without the three point line, without so many things, without you know the key and, and, and different things like that. So I, I'm not so worried about the record books being broken or anything like that because records are made to be broken. But I will say this, people forget when they talk about the 66 game lockout season, people forget that that season was in such a short period of time that it felt so exciting because you only had it from Christmas to April. They played 66 games really in a small window. When you have 66 games from October to April, it's going to feel completely different because everything is going to be a lot longer and a lot more drawn out. It may not change. It may not feel uh, any different than what we have right now because the time that we're going through is is really what we're combating against. People's attention span is different now. 66 games is going to sound different, but the time that's spent while you're getting through the regular season to get to the playoffs, I think that's where we've become as an NBA you know, fan base. People don't even credit what people are doing in the regular seasons anymore. We have conversations all the time. Oh, James Harden's killing things right now. Oh, it doesn't matter. Let him do it in June. Or Russell Westbrook is averaging a trip. It doesn't matter. Let him do it in June. Luka Doncic is, you know, one of the best players in the league. In the league. Oh, well, can we wait and see him do it in the playoffs? Like, that's always the conversation. So having it coded down to 66 games is probably not going to change much. I feel like it would. I, I, I do. I feel like the, the less games, it just puts a more of an importance on, on game one, two, 66 throughout the season. So but, I, I do but, feel like there would be more interest. And especially when you look at like nationally televised games on ESPN and everything like that, when you get a matchup between the Bucks and the, the Clippers and it's the one and only matchup you get to see between them that season mm -hmm. and a potential finals preview, I, I do think there is going to be more excitement around those games. But how is that going to change the problem that the NBA has in terms of, okay, to, you know, Doncic is playing Kawhi. Doncic beats him. All right, let's see him do it in May. How do you combat that? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know because a lot of the conversation nowadays is just geared all like we're, a lot of the conversation is just about like rings and things like that. Right. And there's a huge importance placed on those to the point where it has kind of diluted what happens to the regular season. So I, d I just until that conversation changes, I don't know how it's going to drum up a significant amount of interest in the regular season. That's why I'm not opposed to the in-season regular tournament because Look, that just gives you two now chances to be great. 
so to speak. I think it could be fun. I just don't know if there's going to be a big enough incentive that you can put for getting for winning the tournament to actually get enough teams interested in it. That's my only concern because I ultimately feel like, like we were saying before, teams like the Lakers, like the Clippers, like the Bucks, if there's not a huge incentive for them to go out and go hard during that tournament, um, then you're still not seeing what the best of the best can do in the middle of the season. And then the narrative surrounding it too. I think, you know, we talk about, again, something new coming about. Until we treat it a certain way, it could still be very hollow to people. So, oh man, Luka Doncic led the Mavericks to the midseason championship. He averaged a triple-double over the six games, but we still want to see him do it in the first round of the playoffs or whatever. I think we see the same thing. Or, you know, this guy did this in the first round, but he didn't show up after that. So I think that there will always be like, a, especially like you said, the kind of this the, the conversation and the way we talk about things now, it's kind of rings over everything or, or playoff performances over everything. And you, we have all these guys on a certain timeline. So regardless of what it is, I don't think that that um, somebody performing a certain way in a midseason tournament would really tide people over that much. Maybe if it's one of those things where, um, you know, this guy does it early on in his career, but then at a certain point they're like, oh, yeah, but that was so long ago. We want to see this. So it's just hard to understand that, one, how to, we'll get the players to kind of get up for it, but also, you know, the, the voices surrounding it, how we get them to raise that up to – I guess give it more weight uh, as one of those things, but I, I guess it's part of just fans and the media and all of that have to contribute to that. So that's just kind of a two-way street and how that works. And I just again just can't envision it until I see it. Listen, if the players want to one day make more money than they're already making right now, they'll figure out a way to get up for these midseason tournaments. And by the way, they're already doing this in other sports. It works for them. I don't see why it can't work for the NBA. I'll give you guys one choice, one change. It doesn't have to be what has been proposed. One change you would make to the NBA today would be what? I'm taking a play in. It's something that was that was proposed, and, and I, I really like the idea. Um, there are oftentimes teams who miss the playoffs by half a game, one game, um, and they have a bad stretch in the middle of the season, whatever the case may be, giving them opportunity and also giving the 7 and 8 seed a couple more opportunities, more than 9 and 10. I think that that uh, makes it exciting, and you would enjoy seeing teams like that play to get in the playoffs. Yeah, baseball has kind of gone to that when the uh, with the wild card game. They have that wild card game before they get to the actual playoffs. It's a one game, and it's pretty exciting. Yeah, exactly. So it gives people uh, an opportunity from out just outside the playoffs to make a run. Scott, what would be your one change? I'm on the same page. Um, just because like the the one to eight seed games on uh, series aren't usually that exciting, just because the number one seed is so much better. Right. So I think if you can make the lead up to those series more exciting, I think that's that's a great way to do it. I also do like the idea of reseeding the conferences or the the conference finalists at least. Um, which we've already touched on everything. But I, I do like those both of those ideas quite a lot. I'm going to give you two. I, I, I do like the play-in game. Actually, I'm going to give you three. I do like the play-in game. I do like the reseeding. I think we should be doing that anyway um, within the conference. I'm not talking about cross-conference matchups. I'm talking about within the conference. We should do the reseeding. And then last but not least, we should go back to five-game series in the first round. I think that was exciting. I think that gave people in lower seeds an opportunity to at least – threatened to have an upset in the first round and really put you know the, the teams that were in those top four seeds really on their toes early on to take care of home court because if you lost one of those games at home court and you had to go on the road and win one or two games that was exciting to me and we haven't really seen an upset in the first round in a long time like i said i said off the top the warriors being the dallas mavericks and then that's it. There's no really even the four or five matchups are like blowouts now. It's, it's, it's getting out of hand in terms of uh, the predictability within the playoffs. But um, you know that was another conversation for another time. Uh, let's move on and talk about 
looking forward to this week before we start talking about Thanksgiving and what we're thankful for in the NBA. Um, I want to start with Melo because 25 points for like in form prime mellow is nothing you know we we just move on we wouldn't even bring it up but this is washed mellow this is old mellow this is this is mellow that a a week ago wasn't even in the league and the portland trailblazers pushed the panic button they brought him in and they're featuring him in the offense something i thought i would that would never would have happened he's starting he's playing well uh now that you've seen mellow play a little bit what's your thoughts on mellow um it's fine (laughs) um no it's he's been a little bit better than i expected because i was more a little bit better than you expected yeah he's been i mean okay look what did you expect look he was good last game the game before that against the cavaliers he scored 11 points 515 shooting 0 8 from three the game before that he didn't play very well against the box team there were several moments when he tried to take Giannis and tenkumpo one-on-one okay which Melo at this stage his career is never going to score right so look he played well last night um, it was great to see him do that. It was also against a Bulls team that is an absolute mess, and the Blazers are only one and three hey. since he's joined the team. So I'm, I'm just not going to go. I'm just not going to forget about everything that's happened until this point. So yes, he's been better than I expected, but at the same time, I still don't think it's going to be. You know, he's not going to be the reason that the Blazers turn their season around. Four games into a season at the time of recording this, 16 points per game. He's at. He's scored double digits at least in every single game he's played in. Gil, what's your thoughts on Melo? Well, I mean, Scott, to your point, like who's to say that he's not shaking the rust off of this? Let's not forget that it had been over a year since he appeared in an NBA game. He's 35 years old, and I can't help but be impressed by his most recent showing. Um, it's encouraging. Obviously, it's a guy who he kind of grew up watching, you know, perennial all-star, perennial, you know, always a threat to, to be a scoring champion. Obviously, he still has a little bit left in the tank. Um Portland obviously has dealt with some some tough times this year, some injuries, uh, and, and he was not necessarily looked to be the answer, but at least a quick fix for what they have going on while everything kind of fixed itself. And I think that as that settles down and the sense of urgency isn't as heightened there, I think he can be a solid piece for them. I don't think he's going to be as featured as much down the line, but I think that once he kind of settles into figuring out what his role is, I think that he will be a key piece for them. I, the, the way the West is is still early in the year. I think Portland still has a chance to have an outside shot of kind of getting back in that playoff picture just the way things are right now. And if he can be a guy who averages 13 or 14 a game, and I think that being in that starting role is best for him where he is and just who he is, um, I'm encouraged from what I've seen from him and, and who he plays around. I think that it'll it'll be good for him. Time of recording this, Portland Trailblazers are 6-12 and 12 on the season. They are three games out of the playoff hunt. The uh, Phoenix Suns sitting in that eighth spot. That changes daily, by the way. So by the time you're listening to this, they could be in the playoff hunt. Who knows? Um, but that being said, there's there three, there's six games under 500. Is there a realistic path for the Trailblazers to make the pol- the playoffs in the Western Conference this year? It's still it's still so early. So of course they can. Um, there's very few games separating. I mean, the Lakers are far ahead. Um, but when you look at the bottom of the Western Conference playoff picture, there's a number of teams like the Kings got off to a terrible start this season and they, they've turned it around right. even without De'Aaron Fox. Um, and now they're kind of uh, one game behind the Suns in the playoff picture. So there's absolutely, especially when you look at a team that has Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, there's absolutely a way that they can turn this okay, around. Okay, so how do they get there? Getting healthy is is the biggest thing for them just because they have, I mean, we still don't know when Yusuf Nurkic is going to come back. He was arguably the second best player all of last season until he got injured. 
Um, so he's a you know a huge piece of the success last year. They need him desperately, especially because they traded for Hassan Whiteside to be his replacement, and he just frankly hasn't been that great for them. <laughs> um, you know, and then they also lost Zach Collins to an injury, who was Gill's pick for most improved player of the year this year. Um, so you know, until they get everyone healthy back, um, it's going to be very tough for them. And I also just don't know. Uh, again, like if if you're relying on Melo to be basically your third scoring option this place in his, uh, this time in his career, and don't get me wrong, he can still score. I just don't think he can do it efficiently enough for them to actually make a big enough a difference where they can kind of leap over some of the teams that are ahead of them. Hassan Whiteside is averaging 14.8 points per game, 12 rebounds, a double double. He's getting to the line, shooting 78% from the foul line and close to 60% from the field yet we sit here and kill him saying that he isn't playing good basketball that being said Gil where do, the, where do you see the Portland Trailblazers getting help from because it's not just Mel Mel's obviously not going to carry them to the playoffs but what do they need to do to get there honestly the biggest thing I see is getting help from their schedule uh, you know Melo joined them during a road trip, and you look at it, we, we talk about them being 6-12. and 12. They've played 13 of their first 18 games on the road. That's difficult for anybody. Um, they haven't been great at home. They're 1-4 and four at home right now, but 5-8 uh, and eight on the road is, is okay for a team, again, that's dealt with a lot of injuries so far. And I think that getting that home court advantage, getting back to Portland, playing, you know, sleeping in your own bed, knowing the rims that you play on, I think that's going to help them a lot. I think that um, we talk about Dame getting back healthy. We've already seen him score 60 in a game this year. We know what he's capable of. Uh, he had uh, some rough outings, including the game against Toronto, where their defense kind of kept them in check, as they've been doing a lot of mm-hmm. all-stars this year. Um, I think that you look at that, and, and again, uh, hopefully they get Zach Collins back at some point. He, like, I, I was very high on him coming into the year, and what he making the leap uh, this year, I, I think that um, if they can get home and string some wins together, we see it happen a lot of times every year. We see teams who are five and six games under 500 start stringing, you know, four or five straight wins, um, you know, win in 10 out of 12, you know, 14 out of 20, whatever the case may be, just to inch back to 500. If they're back around 500, uh, probably just a little after the new year, I think they have a good shot. Pull back the curtain here, here at NBA Sound System behind the scenes. Picture the meme of Kermit the Frog feverishly typing on the typewriter. That's what Scott Rafferty was doing just now, pulling up some sort of stat to try and combat what I said about Hassan Whiteside. So the floor is yours, my friend. Um, they are plus 1.5 with him on the court, minus 4.5 um, with him off the court. So it doesn't really represent it there. The problem with like Whiteside, his numbers have always look great. It's just when he's on, his numbers look far better than what he's actually doing on the court. That's right. a problem with him. Right. Um, so you can throw all the numbers you want at me and how he's averaging so-and-so <laughs> points and so-and-so rebounds, so-and-so blocks. Ultimately, he just hasn't been the player that they've needed him to be. And that's been a big reason for their slow start. No, I'm not denying that. He has, he has been bad in terms of what they've asked him to do. But also, they're asking him to just be a stopgap until the uses Nurkic gets back. So... If, if that's so if that is the you know barometer, he's not supposed to take his min- he's not supposed to take his position. He's just supposed to be there and be a body, and he's been doing that. Has he though? I mean, the six and twelve. Yeah, well, that's not just his fault though. We're gonna blame the six and twelve record on Hassan Whiteside. I mean, he just hasn't been that great of a player to this point in his career. So I don't know why suddenly you know you're pointing out his points, rebounds, and and blocks. And I'm me just saying, hey, if my center is averaging a double double, I probably would take that. Yeah, I know you would. Yeah, I would absolutely take that. There's worse stopgap options that they could have. 100%. 100% worse. And by the way, they're dealing with a lot of injuries and a whole nine. So uh, not Hassan Whiteside's fault. But I'm not going to go into a deep dive on Hassan Whiteside. I don't think people care about that. Um, We will go into a deep dive about is our award predictions from the start of the season 
And we actually just revised them on NBA.com. You can go over there and look them up right now. I'll give you the awards for just the three guys that are on the microphone right now. We'll start with Gil McGregor. Gil, in the preseason, picked Giannis Antetokounmpo to win the MVP, had Rudy Gobert winning Defensive Player of the Year, the Portland Trailblazers, Zach Collins to win Most Improved Player, Zion Williamson to win Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year was Lou Williams, Coach of the Year was Nick Nurse, and Executive of the Year was Lawrence Frank. Um, a lot of Gil's choices has remained the same. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the MVP. Uh, Lou Williams, Sixth Man of the Year, Coach of the Year is Nick Nurse, Lawrence Frank, Executive of the Year. Where did you change and why? So my three changes, uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I've been watching the Lakers and, and just what Anthony Davis is doing on the defensive end. Uh, you know, he's really kind of shown his, his versatility. Uh, Frank Vogel is a big-time defensive coach, and I think that's allowed uh, Anthony Davis to shine as a defender. Most improved player was kind of obviously uh, impacted by injuries. Zach Collins, again, is missing some time, and I think that once he comes back, whenever that may be, uh, he won't have enough time to make a case for himself, so maybe postpone that a year. Uh, <laughs> but Devontae Graham, uh, right up the road, Charlotte, he's been doing some big things that I don't think anybody uh, really knew that he was capable of doing. I don't think anybody knows who Devontae Graham is to this point. Well, you know, he, he should be making a name for himself. You know, this is a guy who uh, knocked down nine triples against the Knicks early in the year. He uh, came game, out of the gate. that the world was watching. A, <laughs> a, a guy is just really um, show, showing is kind of uh, showing that he's putting a lot of work into his game over the summer. Uh, and then as far as the other, other change I made, uh, again, injury impacted. Uh, I had Zion Williamson as my rookie of the year, obviously. Uh, his um, – meniscus injury that's sidelined him for the first quarter of the season and mm -hmm. probably the first six to eight weeks I've just changed that to John Morant just because he's hands down been the most impressive rookie uh, of this class he's doing a lot of things showing a lot of poise and I'm very impressed by what he's doing I don't know if it's fair to say Zion's all the way out of it but I think that once you kind of get into that 60 game if he plays less than 60 games this year I don't think there's any way that he wins it. Zion's gonna have to be incredible if he comes back and plays 60 games and tries to pry rookie of the year out of uh, John Morant's hands right now because John Morant has he's been he's been spectacular to start the season for the Grizzlies and by the way I'm laughing at Devontae Graham but Gil actually has a good choice in terms of MIP Devontae Graham no one knew who he was he played 46 games a year ago if you didn't live in the Charlotte metro area you probably didn't even even if you lived in the Charlotte metro area you had no chance of knowing who this guy he could walk up and down the main street in Charlotte and you'd walk past him 20 times without knowing he was an NBA player average 4.7 points per game a year ago uh, you know, he shot 28% from three-point range. Now he's shooting 40% from three-point range on close to nine attempts, eight and a half attempts right now, averaging 18.1 points per game at the time of recording this. And the majority of that was with him coming off the bench uh, in Charlotte. So if you don't know Devontae Graham, you Google him and, uh, and find out a little bit about him. Scott, you've had some changes to a lot of your – well, not a lot, but not some lot. of your – Don't do that. Yeah, no, it was me. I'm, I'm, I'm the one that had a lot of changes, and that's on brand for me. But you had some changes. Of course, everyone across the board had Giannis. You had uh, Anthony Davis. You're sticking with that in terms of Defensive Player of the Year. MIP is interesting, though. You've actually started with Bam Adebayo. You've now gone to Pascal Siakam. Why? Look, no one's ever won two Most Improved Player of the Year awards – so Siakam would be the first to do it if he did, and it's probably unlikely that he, he does win the award just because of that. However, I just think that the improvements that he's made to his game are so important to him and the Raptors that he deserves to be in this discussion. And right now, I do think he is the front runner. I mean, we probably don't give guys enough credit for making the kind of jump that he's done this season, going from basically a borderline all-star to a lock to be an all-star and a potential all-NBA player 
Um, and even a guy who is kind of in the MVP race right now, I think Basketball Reference had him um, eighth in their MVP tracker, which is based on previous voting methods to kind of predict who, who is most likely to win the award. Um, but beyond the fact that he's, you know, putting should, up these Gil, numbers. Should we fact check that? Is that you can something? if you want. You can if you want. <laughs> um, but beyond the fact that he's, you know, his numbers are way up across the board. He's averaging career highs, across, uh, you know, in basically every category. It's the way that he's doing it. Um, particularly, he's shooting more threes from above the break this season. He's shooting more pull-up threes. He's made bo- more of those shots than he did all of last season already. And as we saw in the playoffs last year, when when the Sixers had Joel Embiid guard him um, and the Bucks had Brook Lopez guard him, he wasn't comfortable taking those shots right. and it really impacted him and kind of took away from the things that made him so successful in the regular season. So now that he's knocking down those shots, um, he becomes an entirely different player. So for that, I do think that he deserves to be in this discussion. It's amazing to me that the Raptors won that series against the Sixers when you consider the fact that Fred Van Vliet was, I mean, he, he might have been, if you had just watched seven games of that series of Fred Van Vliet's entire NBA career, you'd probably think to yourself, well, why is this guy in the league? And then he went from that to go get a finals MVP vote from the great Hubie Brown. And Siakam was horrible too. Minus the one game, he was pretty bad too. And they still found a way to get out of that series um, is is incredible. The Sixers really let one slip out of their hands. Sticking with the Raptors, they'll use change your coach of the year from Quinn Schneider to Nick Nurse this far in the season. Why? Uh, The coach of the year was kind of just you could throw your hands up in the air kind of thing going into the season because there's just so many different candidates. I just really like what Nick Nurse has done. The Raptors, as of recording, are 12-4, and four, tied for the second-best record in the East. And I was high on this team going into the season, um, but they've surpassed my expectations. They've got signature wins over big teams, um, such as the Lakers on the road. They just came off a big win over the 76ers. Every single player on that roster is playing hard. Um, so I, I just think that right now, um, he's probably the most deserving to do it. And I also think that the Raptors are going to be kind of in this position all season long. So to think that, you know, a lot of these awards, it's kind of the narrative based, right? right. So if we're going to talk about, you know, a Raptors team being the second or third seed in the Eastern Conference um, after losing Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green in free agency, um, I, I think that's going to, that, that, that's, you know, going to be huge for him in his case. Not to mention at least his injuries to Kyle Lowry and exactly, Serge Ibaka yeah. and just the way he's kind of getting the most out of guys who we otherwise wouldn't have heard of. Yeah, he's, he's pushing all the right buttons, I think, for the Toronto Raptors. And that's the only, really the only pick that I had preseason that remained the same, which is pretty much on brand for yours truly. <laughs> uh, so are you ready, folks? That's why I write things down to pencil, not pen. Uh, at the beginning of the season, I had Kawhi Leonard win MVP. I've now switched to James Harden. Defensive player of the year was Joel Embiid. I've now switched to Marcus Smart. MIP was Bogdan Bogdanovich after that terrific showing at the FIBA World Cup. I've now switched to Aaron Baines. Rui Hachimura was my rookie of the year. I'm now on board with the other two in the room. John Moran, I think, has it locked up, regardless of whether or not Zion comes back. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, I had him for sixth man of the year. I, I'm keeping him as sixth man of the year right now, but he may have played too many games to be, you know, uh, qualify for the award. I, I'm sorry, may have started too many games to qualify for the award because Kyrie Irving can't stay on the floor. It's killing me. Yeah, Come on, Kyrie, get back healthy. He started six games out of uh, 17 right now. So at this pace, he, he might not be up for the award. He's hooping, though. He's averaging, you know, career highs and assists and points right now for the Nets. And at the time of recording this, I think they're 4-0 with him. This the last four, four straight wins. Four, they have four like straight that. wins. He's off a big game winner as well. They won five game. of the last six. Yeah, Nick and Nurse. Those all the games he started in. Nick Nurse, I agree with you. He is the coach of the year. That was my preseason pick. I'm sticking with that. Uh, he's done nothing to change my mind on that because of what you guys talked about. You know, Lowry has been in and out of the lineup. So has Ibaka. 
not in the lineup. They've just been out, and oh. they've gone on the road. They played well. They destroyed the Portland Trailblazers. What they're doing against stars around the league. Uh, defensively is incredible. I don't think he gets enough credit for. I don't think he gets enough credit for the way that he coached the team last year on the way to the championship. It must have been hard to coach the team with a brand new star that demands so much attention in Kawhi Leonard, and not have him be in the lineup for 22 games when that's really your dress rehearsals, and then a huge midseason trade or really end of the season trade where you bring in Mark Gasol, who also. You know, had to figure out whether or not he can start him, whether or not he can sit him. How does he get him involved in the offense? They bring in Jeremy Lin, Lin to just see if he can bring anything to the table. You quickly find out he can't really bring anything to the table. You thought you had OG Adenobi or he was coming back at some point. He doesn't come back. And still, you ride all the way through and win the NBA title. And then you're expected to kind of keep that bar high this season without two key pieces last year. And then you miss two key pieces to start. I mean, Nick. I, there's there's not enough to be said about what Nick Nurse is doing. I think he's one of the five best coaches in the NBA today, no question in my mind. And he just has everyone bought in on that roster. You you can see it how they play defensively, like you were saying. You can basically look at all the the all stars and superstars they played to this point of the season. Each of those players have basically had their worst game of the season against the Raptors. Well, you know, Joel Embiid went scoreless against them. LeBron had a tough game against them. I think Kawhi Leonard set a career high in turnovers against them. Um, so just the way that he's everyone is bought in, how they click together defensively, Nick Nurse has done a tremendous job. Yeah, watching them play on defense is actually one of the more fun things to do. Uh, just the way they fly around, uh, again, it's a testament to how bought in they are to what they do. And the thing I really appreciate about w- w- with Nick Nurse is, one, that he really does come off as a player's coach, and, and two, he's not afraid to push the envelope. This is a guy who brought out the boxing one, something we usually see at AAU tournaments or, or prep tournaments in the NBA Finals, the biggest stage of all all of basketball, and then he brought it back out against Trey Young, uh, you know, earlier in the season. Uh, this is a guy who, who does things and, and do, isn't really going to subscribe to the norms of what we can or quote unquote can't do uh, at the NBA level. And I think that it pays dividends for him, and I think that it results in him finding ways to kind of pick up the pieces once you know he has to replace people in the lineup or whatever the case may be. And I think that's contributed to the team's success this year. No doubt about it. Let's uh, let's get out of here quickly. And before we do, it is Thanksgiving weekend, so I want to find out what you guys are thankful for in regards to the NBA. Um, again, for those who are not celebrating, all those international fans that are listening, um, just have some turkey on us. But Scott, what are you thankful for in the NBA? I'm thankful for Luka Doncic. <laughs> I'm not surprised that was the answer. I, I am thankful for Luca. He's just he's been incredible to start the season. The triple doubles, the scoring. As of recording, his last game was um, that performance against the Rockets when he went for 41 points and 10 assists against James Harden, um, who for some reason you think is the front runner for MVP right now, and Russell Westbrook. Um, he's just been remarkable from start to finish, and, and it's just so the, the Mavs have been the most fun team to me to watch on a nightly basis so far this season. Um, and, you know, he's got a big week ahead of him. He's got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George tonight. Um, and something I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, he's got um, LeBron for the fourth time in his career on, uh, coming up this weekend. Yeah. Luka Doncic has been incredible. Gil, what do you have? Well, that was a perfect segue for me to say that I'm thankful for LeBron. Uh, you know, we're calling him the washed king or whatever, what have you. Uh, and he hasn't missed a beat this season. Is there any evidence that anyone actually called him that, though? He's calling himself the washed king, I guess. That's he, what it is he, now. Yeah, he's putting words in our mouths. I, I don't think I saw anyone of relevance maybe some twitter troll but anyone of relevance go relevance go out there and call him the wash king but 
Apparently we did. Appar- so someone, apparently. Off, someone off the record in our office may have called him washed at some point, but I don't. We'll know put it on the record. I don't know who that person uh, was. Yeah, I don't know. I think you might you might know him well, but I don't <laughs> I, know if you know, know his name. Um, but, but yeah, just just to put it in perspective, to think about it, you know, um, I'm 25 years old, and I've I've been watching LeBron play at a high level since I was 11 years old. So it's one of those things where we talk about you never really know what you have until you don't have it anymore. And mm-hmm. obviously, LeBron James will be 35 this year at some point that fall from grace is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And I think that it's one of those things that just being thankful and appreciative of watching somebody play at this high of a level and sustain greatness for so long. It's one of those things you got to kind of sit back and appreciate. And as the tagline used to say with Nike, witness greatness. So that's one of the things I say. I'm thankful to, for two things. One is the parody that we've seen in the NBA this season. I don't think anyone could put their life savings right now on an NBA champion with all that is you know up in the air in terms of you know, guys meshing well. We don't know uh, how the seasons will shake up. Matchups are going to matter so much come postseason time. And then, of course, as you saw last year with the Raptors winning the championship, the Golden State Warriors were just a walking wounded team into the playoffs. So there's so much that goes into crowning a champion. I'm just so excited that right now, this is the first time in probably five years you couldn't even pick the NBA finalists with any sort of certainty, let alone who's going to win the NBA championship. So I'm thankful for that. And secondly, I'm thankful for the NBA trying to push the bar and 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 try to make changes to make the game more interesting, which is what we talked about off the top. I'm really interested to see how things shake up. And I don't expect every single schedule change to happen or proposed schedule change to happen. I don't expect the in-season tournament to happen anytime soon or even the reduction of games down to 60 or 62 or whatever the, the number is. But I do expect something to happen. And the fact that they're willing to talk about it to try and make the games more interesting for you, I, and everybody else that is a fan of the league and even more attractive to people who really aren't NBA fans right now makes me excited because, you know, they could sit here and say, well, you know what? We're counting money. We're making so much money. We're printing money. Uh, the league could stay the same, but they realize that, you know, we're going into a new era with a new technology and different ways to consume basketball uh and why not making interesting in the new uh in the new wave that's all we have happy thanksgiving to everybody listening if you're driving drive safely to your destination we will see you back next week uh enjoy for gil mcgregor scott rafferty i'm carly gay we are thankful for you the listener this is nba sound system